You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the X-Man Podcast. I am your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the show. Guys, I'm in a good mood. It's been a really busy week. Lots of Bad Wolves stuff. Bad Wolves is a band I'm in. We just hit the Loudwire Music Awards yesterday in Los Angeles, California. And it was a good time. You know, had a little too much fun. We walked the red carpet, which is actually the black carpet, which is very nerve-wracking it was like 105 degrees out we were sweating and then like iced tea and like body count rolls up and i was the first time i got to meet iced tea and i was pretty pumped up but it's just awkward because it's just like band dudes and it's like the dudes from the devil from devil you know now like the torch howard jones and they're they're annoyed and then it's like avatar and they're in makeup and it's just you know and tony iomi shows up and it's it's just guys it's, it's weird playing rock star uh i don't recommend it Let's try and just be normal, you know, normal, normal, normal people. But no, it was a lot of fun. Got to see a lot of old friends, got to see some killer bands. And uh, yeah, the Bad Wolves train is rolling. We just put out a little announcement today on November 3rd. We'll be dropping a brand new song called Toast to the Ghost. And we'll be announcing, there'll be some announcements that day as well. So uh, all those people have been complaining and yelling and... Um, you know, in a good way, you know, this is all, it's just affection saying they are, they are pumped and ready for new Bad Wolves material. November 3rd, you will have, we'll give you another taste, another jam. And I, and I will say this, it is, uh, it is quite tasty. So I'm, I'm pretty excited because everything is really going down for that band. Um, not going to get too crazy with the intro here because this is a basketball NBA oriented podcast. So if you're here for a regular X-Man show, sorry to disappoint you. No, we're talking NBA, we're talking hoops, we're talking about balling. All right. We're talking about dudes getting getting dunked on, yacked up. All right. It's, it's a good one. So I have Derek James, and he is a Minnesota Timberwolves analyst for 1500 ESPN radio. And he's also a writer for a great NBA website, Hardwood Paroxysm, for the real basketball nerds out there. And we were very lucky to meet on Twitter through the common connection between heavy metal and basketball. 
But there's one caveat to this conversation is we recorded it before the NBA season and we recorded it before the Carmelo Anthony trade to Oklahoma City. So some of it's a little uh, behind the ball as far as the timeline, but I still think it was a really good conversation. I want to do this stuff a little more often. And I'm, and honestly, for stuff like this, if I end up doing a politics-only episode or a basketball episode or something that's very timely and uh, very very topical, I should probably release it right away, which you know might ultimately end up having me do multiple episodes a week sometimes. And you know I'm just going to be okay with that and just let you guys know it's going to be you know, it's going to be a little more of the DOC, a little more X-Men in your life. So anyway, I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. So check it out. My conversation, my hoops, NBA, ball is life conversation with my man, Derek James. Thank you so much for being on the X-Men podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. No problem. And so I consider this show, so I'm kind of mixing the show up. So usually I'll have these long autobiographical tales of of how someone gets from A to B. And I, you know, as you've seen with my show, it's mostly musicians. But I'm trying mm-hmm. to expand. I want to do a little more topical stuff. And so that's part of what we're going to do, but I would like to get a little of your background. So tell people who you are and, uh, and what you do. Well, my name is Derek James. I am currently the Timberwolves analyst for 1500ESPN.com up here in the Twin Cities. And that means that I write during the season um, regular pieces for the website. And then I also host a weekly podcast um, with my co-host Manny Hill. Mm. And Shout out to Manny. Doing, who is not with us today. <laughs> and let's see, I got my start about seven years ago, um, just blogging about basketball, tweeting my links out, and then it's just kind of picked up from there. I mean, I've gone to SB Nation, ESPN's True Hoop Network, but I've been in credential media for the Timberwolves now. I think this will be my fifth year. So you were you started writing on your own as kind of just like a fan? Yeah, I mean, it was, I took a semester off of college and i needed something to do that winter so i just started a little blog spot just talking about the timberwolves and i didn't do much that the first six months and then someone was starting a local sports site and i was like hey i'd be interested in being your timberwolves guy and i just sent it to him and it's kind of just snowballed from there did you, were you did you study journalism so i'm i've gone to school for about three different things i started out in fitness and that's what I originally started going to school for. And then I switched to marketing once I started working in fitness and didn't really think that was a good fit. But now I'm in communications. And I think writing um, has actually kind of steered me towards what I want to do because I realized that journalism isn't a very uh, stable industry right now. Yeah. I think the way that everything's changing, especially sports media. And, I mean, you just look at, like, Fox Sports doesn't even have written content. It's all video. Yeah, and was there a bunch of layoffs at ESPN and uh, what was it, uh, True Hoop, right? Were there a bunch of different layoffs? Yeah, so they restructured that entire thing. I'm not even sure what it looks like anymore, but ESPN, yeah, once um, Adrian Wojnarowski came over from Yahoo, mm-hmm. they really shuffled the deck there, I think, probably just so they could afford everybody. So they wound up you know, cutting a lot of longtime guys like Mark Stein. I don't think Chad Ford's there anymore. Are you Ethan serious? Sherwood's- 
Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a red wedding. Know your Game of Thrones fans, so you'll understand that. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Chad is the the big uh, draft guy, um, so that's that's concerning. Is that something like that, and kind of dealing with something like this? Does that do you have a level of insecurity that is concerned? You know, that you're thinking about day to day, or I'm not too much. I mean, that's why I decided to actually get my degree in communications and that's what I'm working towards now. So I figure, you know, a lot of media, they, you know, they transition from that to communication. So in my mind, it's a good hedge where if I wind up in sports media, ultimately great. If not, I mean, I know that I'll have something, you know, steady to fall back on that might even be more secure long-term. So does this mean transitioning more into, uh, in front of camera, television kind of uh web stuff maybe youtube content things like that you know i don't know that's a good question i know that at 1500 they've started encouraging us to do facebook live a little more and i mean it's 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 always fun the more that you can mix it up so i mean especially you know that's really the way that everyone's going i mean with the way that mobile phones are apparently people don't like to read as much (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but you'll, you'll, which is weird to me because if I'm using the bathroom and we all use our phones in the bathroom, I'm reading something. I'm not watching a video. I've heard psychopaths watch videos in the bathroom and it's weird. Well, so I, I would think that- it's really interesting because it's, it's a testament to how quickly I think our brains have changed due to how we consume content and data. And mm-hmm. the way I look at it in, in many, some of it's obviously very concerning but also there's other element of it where I think about it in terms of efficiency, right? So if I'm trying to absorb information, I for, for example, I got really into audiobooks maybe about 10 years ago. And I would mm-hmm. listen to an audiobook while I was, I swear to God, I, I had a temp job stocking shelves at Walmart for the holidays, right? So it was like a two-week period. And I would literally just stock shelves and I'd be listening to like Malcolm Gladwell or like this book on finance and i was like in many ways it's more efficient than actually reading the book because it's just it's quicker to listen to it than it is because you know at least for me sometimes i might be let's say i'm um, reading something that's fairly dense i i'm not just reading it i have to comprehend it so that maybe sometimes that involves going through a page two or three times to make sure it's really settling in your brain and as good kind of a workout i think that is for your brain and it's really important is the methodology more important or is the end of actually getting absorbing the information more important i don't know i just think yeah i think it's the way because i know like if i'm a person who's big on efficiency too and the more things i can accomplish at once i mean if i'm stuck in rush hour traffic and i can put it in a podcast and i can learn something and i think i'm better for that Mm -hmm. But I think generally if I'm just sitting at home, you know, with time to kill, I don't mind reading something. Because I know when Woj started putting out um, video with his reports in there, it's like, I just want to click a link and read the information. I don't want it to sift through a video after a 30-second ad. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it all kind of depends. I think there's also the element of stylistic writing. And there's a reason why we would read a particular writer, right? Because they, they're yeah. speaking in their voice. And they have a way of, you know, there's that expression, you know, and that's when I got into blogging, I made it as personal 
and as much of me as possible. So I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm never going to be as good as anyone else at their thing. So I just have to be the most me that, that can be and kind of speak in my own voice. And that's what is going to kind of attract there. So I think that's, to me, that's always going to be relevant. See, and that's what I struggled with for the, when I first started, when I got to hardwood paroxysm, that's really kind of when I struggled with that. Cause I was with all these writers that I'd always looked up to and admired and wanted to be included as a peer. And I kept trying to imitate them rather than just be myself. So mm. it's good that you actually were able to go, I'm going to be doc because this world doesn't have, you know, another doc coil writing. Yeah. Like I and think I look at someone like out. Zach Lowe, part of the reason why he's, you know, he might be, you know, the top of the heap, I think for, for NBA writing because when you read his piece, it's like it almost sounds like when you hear him talk. You it's know? very conversational, yeah. And and obviously his stuff is very uh, data rich, and um, but it's it's and I'm sure you know since everything has moved so much in the analytics realm, one of the toughest things. This is kind of almost like the the like the five thirty eight evolution, right? Of mm-hmm. talking data, talking math. And trying to make it interesting <laughs> as a writer, which is that's a tough thing to do. I think it's like two different parts of the brains. I think to talk about mathematics and statistics and data while also using that more creative side of your brain. Yeah, well, it's, it's just it's it's just a trick. As a what's the the, the term that, that I like because I have noticed a lot of the stuff I like is a infotainment. <laughs> so you mm-hmm. you watch that show Adam ruins everything. No, I don't. You should. It's a uh, Basically, it started out on what was it? Um, uh, Funny or Die, I believe, and it's basically it's called okay. Adam Ruins Everything because this guy does all his research and kind of uh, slaps down all the conventions or that or things that we think and tells historically why this is wrong, why that's wrong. But anyway, it's infotainment where you kind of take some history or a bit of information, but you wrap it in some comedy or something so that it kind of makes the pill go down a little easier the delivery yeah exactly i think that's kind of having good good writing and conversational stuff mixed with the analytics i think can that's work. hard to do it's tough too. i respect anyone who does it super 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 tough um so i want to tell people a little bit how you and i came in contact to each other so i believe i commented on some basketball writers uh, thing on Twitter. It was Kurt Helen of um, NBC Sports. Okay, pro basketball talk. I don't even remember what I <laughs> what I what I commented on, but then I guess you recognize me from my music background, and yes. so then we started. You know, we had that bond of being NBA freaks and also heavy metal fans, and so so when did you get into uh, heavy music? Gosh, I mean, music, it's always kind of been a part of my life. I think when I got to middle school, probably about seventh or eighth grade, um, someone showed me System of a Down's Toxicity. And this was right around, I think that came out like 2001, so it's probably like Mm 2002-ish, right around there. And that was kind of my introduction. And it was was kind of a weird time for metal because that was kind of as um, new metal was kind of crescendoing and right before the new wave of American heavy metal came in. So it was then there was kind of corn slipknot from there, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, friends who were around it and people that I knew, and I kind of just asked about it and borrowed records and listened to it and kind of absorbed everything like a sponge. And did you go, did you go deep down the rabbit hole and get into heavier and heavier stuff? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Over time, especially as I had friends. I mean, my musical tastes have always been pretty um, eclectic. Um, so it really wasn't hard for me to do. Uh, I have friends who, you know, they loved Metallica. And then my gr- main group in high school, I mean, they would show me, you know, the Swedish bands, you know, your In Flames, your Soil Work, Meshuga, and all those guys. But then, you know, also the newer bands, you know, like, you know, you guys, God forbid, and Kill Switch, Shadows Fall, Trivium. And although so it was really quite the range, and then I would go farther back, you know, like we take like Trivium, where you can really hear their influences, especially on their early stuff. Mm-hmm. You go, well, oh, Iron Maiden. Okay, cool. This is still cool. I mean, because I can hear that in there, or, you know, Pantera, Metallica, you can hear kind of all the distillations of that over time and what they kind of, what the new bands have took on to. And that was always kind of cool to me, just to see how everything kind of connects itself. And you, you, play, you, you play guitar as well, right? Yes, yeah, I finally started getting back into it in the last year and a half or so. Right on, right on. Well, so are you still in it? I think as um, so many people, you know me, I'm I'm about to turn 37, and heavy metal in many ways is a is a young man's game, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, so a lot of people will be into it very intensely for a certain period of their youth and sometimes tend to move move on are you still into it are you still going to shows are you still buying records i'm still buying records yeah i realized i went to it was last summer i went to a seven dust show and a deftones show within nice. a week of each other nice nice and I, I was sitting there i'm like i have no desire to be you know in the pit anymore and, you know bumping elbows with teenagers and all that i mean i'll sit on the side and enjoy it that way. There's no shame. There's no shame. Listen, we're me. I got a bad back. You know, I'm. Mm-hmm. I. I literally remember the last time I was on it. I was really in a pit, and it was Mashuga at the New Wave of American Heavy Metal Fest in 2003. I was at the bar. Guys, it's Doc here. I'm gonna cut in real quick. I think I've done this twice on the show where I was trying to say the New England Hardcore and Metal Fest. <laughs> And somehow replace that with the new wave of American Heavy Metal Fest. I don't think there was ever was a new wave of American Heavy Metal Fest. But here's the thing. I can't just let myself go on record saying dumbass shit. So I got to correct myself. And, and for some reason, I guess it, they each have new and they both have metal in it. And, you know, your boy's not perfect. Anyway, back to my chat with Derek. You know, just enjoying myself. Mm-hmm. And then I heard New Millennium Cyanide Christ come on. And I was like, I need to go destroy human beings. <laughs> I went and did that, and that was, you know, and as as our friend Jamie Justice says, every now and again you got to come out of mosh retirement, you know. <laughs> but but me, actually, the reason why I stopped really going in the pit was because I played that I had a situation where I was doing a show and I was like hardcore dancing to my buddy's band and like I hit my hand on somebody and I was like, you know what, I kind of need my hands. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so my, so I so I might have to 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 put this down. Um is it or you tell me is it you know um NBA basketball culturally is in many ways synonymous with hip hop culture, hip hop music. Very much so. Do do you feel like an outcast within the the peripheral NBA community being being a, a metal guy? A little bit. I mean, I also enjoy hip hop, so I don't feel that disconnected from it. But yeah. I do enjoy being a little different, having my own thing. And I mean, I know that you know we've had conversations 
you know, about metal and things like that. And other people have chimed in. So it's it, clearly there's another part of that audience out there. It may be a pretty vocal minority, but yeah, it's definitely still there. Well, I, if it's up to me, see, I think what we need to do is form like, you know, our own like Illuminati or something of the, <laughs> the, the metal heads and NBA junkies, you know, we'll have like our little secret meetings and we'll wear like weird robes and stuff and, and do chants and, I don't know. We 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 need something, all right? Because we are a special breed, I believe. Yeah, it's it's very unique, and I mean, we could be our own secret society for sure. That's what I'm saying, man. This is that's right. Being fitting in is not cool. Being weirdos is the new cool. All right. Exactly. I'm, we could have passwords and handshakes. That's gonna be great. That's what I'm saying. You know what? It, it sounds sometimes the best ideas start as really stupid ideas, but you know, it takes a um, a brave man or woman to forge forward all right so you know what i'm, I'm gonna let that idea germinate with me and we're gonna i think we can i think we can make it happen but you know what's interesting though about basketball is you go to the arenas and what are they playing between songs they're playing guns and roses they're playing metallica they're playing van halen and i was asking my buddy mm-hmm. who worked for the nba um and he was saying well that's because the consumer you know, the most of the people going to the show is going to be a 30 to 40 year old white guy. So that's what they're kind of, they're kind of appeasing the fans, even though the, the culture itself, you know, is, is a little bit uh, separate from that. Do you, do you have any theories on that? Why they play hard rock music at the arenas? I mean, I think that has to be it because I mean, I've even heard that, um, you know, hip hop shows around here, you know, especially like the big ones, you know, like if Drake comes to town or something that my friends have been surprised at just how many, you know, white people are in the audience. And I think that what well, is, Minnesota. Probably dep- it is Minnesota. yeah, I mean, that, t- that doesn't help too, but, <laughs> I, <laughs> but Minnesota has a strong hip hop scene too. And I think it, yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, I turned to someone that I was sitting next to a media row. I'm like, I can't believe they're still using the beautiful people as their intro music, their hype music. And, you For know, you had 20, 15, what's that? For who? The, oh, the Timberwolves used for their intro video. They used Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People. That's amazing. Just the music to it. That's but it crazy. was definitely The Beautiful People. That's pretty sick. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying I, I feel when it comes to culture, and it's, this, this has represented itself through a lot of my writing, especially the stuff I was doing at VH1, that metal and hard rock we're essentially you know we're the the red-headed stepchild we you know we're the, we're the black sheep of pop culture we're kind of getting pushed out where we're there like it's big but they don't really want to like let you know pretty much give us any credit we're, we're you know we're like the trailer trash of america i think that's how we're treated <laughs> i think it gets yeah i think there are a lot of negative connotations to it because i know i tell people you know like if i'm going to like a metal show i'm listening to a metal band or something like that or there's a metal record that i'm hot on at the moment like oh it's like kill your parents music and you know mm-hmm. all those negative things that you know metal and rock music has been blamed for throughout the years and that just sticks with people and i don't wonder if people think that if they support it or if they accept that hey this isn't so bad because there's a lot of it that you can find that is actually pretty positive no i think i think a lot of it is but it's not like hip-hop really here's the thing hip-hop i guess just recently it passed rock for the first time ever on spotify as the Mm -hmm. most played music but i think you could make an argument 10 years ago 
hip-hop was, you know, as far as I'm concerned, hip-hop culture is pop culture currently. Yes. And, you know, and so it has dominated the culture more more than anything else. So it's, in 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 many ways, how do you find a way to kind of reclaim it? Or is it better for for at least the the heavier stuff in many ways it it, the whole point of it is to be subversive and anti-mainstream and against the green you know so yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't don't know which way to go there i mean i guess when you look at it too i mean the way i see it is that whether it's you know whether it's the blues it's rock slash metal or hip-hop or country one of the major themes among all those is going to be struggle Mm mm-hmm and you can always boil it down to that, whether it's personal or it's, you know, the situation or, you know, addiction, whatever it is. I mean, it's on the lyrics and you could really just, you know, draw so many parallels to these different genres. And I mean, it's like, yeah, we're different, you know, sonically and all that, but we're all really, you know, listening to music for the same reasons. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess the point I was making, actually, I meant to make before, but I, I skipped over it, was that hip-hop can't really throw too many stones. They talking about shooting motherfuckers and doing ecstasy and, you know, banging 37 chicks, you know. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're doing wild stuff, too, all right? They're growing up to the show at AK-47, you know, how is that better than, you know, writing a song about Satan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you... Or just literally punching people in the face. I mean, you look at like Pantera's Five Minutes Alone. It's literally wanting to beat the shit out of someone. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. It's great. I love it. One of my, one of my all-time greats. One of the, the most pivotal bands for me. All right. So we're going to pivot. Speaking of, of pivots, we're going to pivot real quick and hit some topics about the league. But I had to let people know on the X-Man that you're not just a basketball guy. You're, you're part of the, you know, you're part of the crew. All right. So... Yeah, you know we we connected on multiple levels. But I appreciate you building my cred first. Listen, this is this is important because a lot of people might not listen to the show. They're like, listen, I ain't come for this show for no basketball shit. But I've talked NBA with Jim from Kamira. I've talked NBA. Who else? Did I, oh, um, uh, my buddy Benny from the band Gaslight Anthem. So I'm gonna listen. It's gonna it's gonna be here, all right? Because yeah, guess what? This is my show. We gonna talk about what the fuck I want to talk about. You're not gonna stick to music. <laughs> no, I'm talking about everything. We, we don't, we're going to do everything here, but, um, but so we're going to get deep into some some topics because, in many ways, this is the 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 dog days of summer. There's not a lot going on. All the big moves are done, and so in some ways, I'm almost glad we're talking now because, you know, if you're doing if you're writing pieces or you're doing podcasts throughout the summer, literally every week, the entire landscape has changed again. So. What you said last week becomes irrelevant, but we're at the perfect time unless Carmelo Anthony gets traded between now. I was just thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine anything like that will happen this quick, but unless that does happen, more than likely this, this stage is pretty much set between now and opening day barring, barring that. So, so I think it's a good time to start talking about some of these things. I agree. So, all right. So what we're going to do, want to talk about the end of the last season because I wrote an article about Kevin Durant right when he signed with the Warriors. And in many and I then my framing on it was I thought it was bad for the league in that not that I don't feel like he should be able to go where he wants and I don't think that I thought oh he's a he's a punk man cuz he went to that team. You're not morally 
analyzing his decision for don't him. care about any of that what i thought it but what i did think was though that it was a mistake of history in that mm-hmm. if there was not a cap spike and something it was literally just random like if that just if it wasn't that year there's no reason that a team if like if the whole purpose of the salary cap is to create some type of competitive balance obviously we don't have 100% competitive balance then it's it you really shouldn't be able to sign four top 15 guys um in their prime like it i mean unless they're literally all taking a a big haircut um and so it's just kind of this luck of history and i went through the last 30 40 years to try and find something similar where you had four all nba type performers and two mvps all in their prime like all within that 25 to 30 range and it's never as far as i've known it's never happened no i can't think of another time either and i I think you're totally right i mean it's basically the nba equivalent to an act of god i mean the summer you know where the tv money kicks in aligns with the cap spike and they have curry on an incredible contract because his ankles were so shaky his first few years that allowed them to have the space to do that. They had to do some cap gymnastics with moving Andrew Bogut, but they were able to pull that off. And that's when they could sign Kevin Durant. Like, I mean, it's, it's so surreal that they're able to do that. And I mean, I think everyone, Katie is a pretty well liked guy. I mean, he hasn't always been, he can be kind of surly at times, but people generally like him. They would have, you know, really enjoyed to see him win it. I think, more anywhere else not necessarily like you said surrounded by three other top 15 guys in their prime because it's like well yeah that's what you were supposed to do you were supposed to win the title you know you were supposed to be probably the greatest player on the team too so they're supposed to win every year basically as long until they're like 35 if they don't win every year it's a failure yeah pretty i mean it's a lot like what you know the target that the miami heat had on their back you know when they had the heatles team together I mean, they were supposed to win it every year. And if they didn't, it was a failure. But I think the one thing that's missing is that there's really no sort of storyline of struggle. There's really not much of an arc to it. And that Kevin Durant, yeah, he overcame the injuries. And then he signed with three other, you know, all-stars in their primes. And that just really takes the air out of it. I mean, you, even with Michael Jordan, he had to get past the Pistons in the, you know, the late 80s. And eventually over the end of the Showtime Lakers in the early 90s to win his first title. And there's always that iconic image of him even, you know, just crying with the Larry O'Brien trophy. You know, just the emotion of overcoming that. Or LeBron saying that, you know, no one can say shit to him anymore after he won his first one. I mean, just like those moments where, you know, someone has to overcome that. I think people latch on to that. And mm-hmm. with Durant, had he stayed in OKC, I think we would have had that. But it's just missing in this case. Yeah, it would have been like Jordan joining the Pistons in you know 91 instead of and saying you know i can't beat him so might as well or like Le- if lebron would have joined the big three celtics after the, they lost yeah, in exactly. 2010 uh because he felt like you know what these guys are just kicking our ass so there's nothing I, I can do which is like i said i i hate getting into that aspect of it because i don't think it's really fruitful um because like i said i feel like he can do it whatever he wants but just watching the finals Watching how little of a barricade was in front of the Warriors getting to the finals, did did you feel that that 
the way that worked out um, was was it enjoyable for, for you, or did you like me feel like this was boring, or this is like it's like a steamroller? Yeah, I mean, I re- I wasn't really too invested in. I mean, at its core, just watching you know it's, with a team with so much talent on the floor at the same time is enjoyable if you're a basketball fan. I mean, just the ball movement, the shooting, the ability on both ends of the floor. I mean, that's fun to watch in itself. But, I mean, just from a competition and drama standpoint, as just a viewer, yeah, that was definitely lacking. I mean, and the offseason has just been much more enjoyable than the playoffs were. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I had some some problems with it. And the thing that was so... um, what really struck me was if you take that Cleveland team, and I know people look at their defensive numbers for the year and basically said, well, if you have these numbers, you basically can't win a championship. But talent-wise, uh, I think that Cleveland team was in the realm of many championship teams in the last 20 years. I think That, that was team, one of LeBron's best teams. Yeah, I thought, I thought they were really good. And the fact that LeBron and Kyrie – both had, I think actually LeBron, Kyrie, and Love uh, combined for 100 points <laughs> in game mm-hmm. three and still lost. And that the game they had to, they, they the only game they actually won, they had to what, hit what, 26 three pointers, break the record. Like they had to do, th- and even that game, you were like, I think Golden State the, might come back. They were so, yeah, they were creeping back in that game, if I remember right. And I mean, LeBron averaged, almost averaged a triple double in the series. And no, he did. It he did a- him. He averaged a triple double. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did get it. Okay. Like a 30 point. He basically did a, a Westbrook, but actually with good um, efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but, but, but no, so that was the thing to me where I'm like, even this great team. And obviously, if they win game three, if, you know, uh, KD doesn't have that little spurt at the end, who knows? Maybe we're looking at it's it's 2-2 and we have a more competitive series. I think the overall end of it, um, perhaps um, out, it, it wasn't a complete accurate representation of how good the teams were. Um, but either way, it, it felt I was like, this is crazy. I, I cannot believe this. Um what do you think that means for the next few years? Or is or is this do we just have to hope for an injury or something weird to happen or some other? Is is there any these like all these new unions you think have any chance? One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. 
We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Well, I was down on the, the, the what the league was going to do this summer. You know, would teams just rest on their laurels and hope to wait out the Warriors or have that freak injury and hope that they're in position to take over? And teams went nuts this summer. I mean, they made moves. I mean... I don't know the last time we saw this many all-stars and stars in their prime change teams. It's just incredible. And I think that reshuffling of the deck at least adds some intrigue to the regular season. I don't know if that carries over to the postseason, but it's actually makes the regular season more intriguing and actually gives that a little more suspense than I think it otherwise would, especially coming off such a lackluster postseason that we had. So I think in in my estimation, um, and maybe – you might disagree with this, but I, I think the, the Kyrie trade was probably the biggest um, bombshell and kind of the biggest game changer. Uh, what are your thoughts about that that trade and who do you feel benefited more? Or, Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, it was a pretty good trade for both teams. I mean, I do like Jay Crowder. I think that's a nice piece to get back in addition to Isaiah Thomas. Getting the Brooklyn pick is nice, except I think Brooklyn, Brooklyn's going to be much better than they have been in recent memory, which is unfortunate for the Cavs, but maybe that's probably part of why Danny Ainge decided to actually trade a draft pick. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're well set up, too, if you know they decide they don't want to pay Isaiah. LeBron leaves this summer. I mean, they really just have Kevin Love, I think, who is only on the books through, I want to say, next 19, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then he's off the books. So, I mean, it would be really easy for them to hit the reset button if things don't go their way. But in the short term, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, as long as his hip is fine. And that's kind of the question mark, because that yeah. deal almost didn't go through. Yeah, I think I think there's so, a good chance he might not be Isaiah till maybe, you know, later later in the year, more situation where he, he might end up being the sixth man or something when he comes back. Um, and then you're trusting Derrick Rose to stay healthy and be productive. Yeah, well, hey, you got Jose Calderon. Come on, man. That's, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's money in the bank, baby. <laughs> money in the bank (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, i love it listen hey here's one thing about jose calderon that dude 40 he's like wide open from three 45 percent baby all right i mean no one's probably guarding him on that team so i mean yeah that could happen but he's not guarding any anyone else which is the the real issue (laughs) right that's another problem um no i i look at it and i i think it's one of the rare instances where I think both teams did well. I think superstars are really, really, really hard to get. And I don't care what anyone says. I, I think Kyrie is definitely a superstar. Yeah. Um, I dis- mean, it's Twitter's so weird. I mean, 
it's like we get so bored. I'll say we here, even though I don't feel like I'm a part of this. We get so bored during the summer that we just tear down guys who don't need tearing down. I mean, last summer it was the takedown of Damian Lillard, where all of a sudden everyone turned against him. And it's like, you know, if he wants out, he wants his own team. I mean, I respect him for that. He didn't sign. Kyrie didn't sign up to you know play next to LeBron when he was given that extension. I mean, this was going to be his team. They were going to build with him, and he. He had success with LeBron, now wants to venture out into something new. And it's really something that we haven't seen before, though, where a star is successful and then still asks for a trade. Yeah, but that's kind of isn't that essentially what Kobe did? Even though, he, even though uh, Shaq was already gone, the whole point was uh, Kobe and, you know, they had that fissure and it was, I want, you know, fuck that guy. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be the man. Um but I think there's a, a big a bit of a difference there. I I don't I would not put Kyrie in the uh, in the Kobe level. I would not either of 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 ability. I think we 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 do have a body of work uh, where Kyrie what they like what they couldn't win more than thirty something games as with him as the best player. Obviously, he was a lot younger then, but still. Well, and that team was so much worse too. Well, well, I don't think we have any idea what a Kyrie led team looks like right now. Well, we know what the numbers are when LeBron goes to the bench, and they're not good. Okay, that we do know. You're right. <laughs> um, and you know, and I, and I think we're we're in this era where the way, like, if Kyrie was playing in the '90s, I think we we'd probably, you know, we put him in the Allen Iverson camp. You know, saying he's oh he's MVP. He's that he's that kind of a guy. Just this unstoppable offensive player but now with the way that we have figured uh defensive um ability into how we rate players i i I think it it there's a reason why we kind of put them on that next rung down i think from some of Mm -hmm. these from some of the the other guys but we'll see but my whole point is in terms of like we need a bucket right now he's one of the top what Three or four guys, they just say, "Give him the ball or go get a ball." Like he does, he's a magician. Yeah. He's a magician, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he doesn't get phased easily. I mean, that was one of the questions, you know, when LeBron went back and went to the finals. It's like, how will Kyrie respond? And he was, he was great, even you know, with his honest effort when he was still dragging his bad ankle around. But we saw in 2016 how he stepped up, hitting that big shot. I mean, he's not phased by you know having to be the guy like that. I think that certainly takes pressure off of Gordon Hayward too, which will make it really interesting because Cleveland and Boston, you know, figure to be the top two teams in the East. So I don't I'll probably see them later on. Yeah, I think Boston's going to be really interesting because I don't. I think people are kind of doing that thing where they see who's on the team, like, oh yeah, they're going to be great, but they're kind of, you know, many ways we have to understand. Uh, Boston just dismantled their core that actually won 50 games a couple years in a row. And to me, a big piece of that is Avery Bradley. Like that guy, I think in a lot of ways was the kind of the heart of the, um, he defined a lot of the, the character of the team. Um, so, I, and they, you know, some of their mate, you know, and same thing with Jay Crowder. You know, I think those two guys that just being hard nosed defenders playing super hard, um, being part of a system. And now those guys are gone and now they have, you know, quote unquote stars, but I think we should uh, give them some kind of learning curve 
to reestablish what the identity of the team is. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. I think there's always a risk when you disrupt any sort of continuity or break up any group that's had success, you know, with great chemistry. I mean, you always jeopardize actually, you know, fixing, trying to fix something that wasn't actually broken and that may have just gone well anyway. I'm totally fine with it because here's the truth. I think that was a team of overachievers. You know, they were probably as good as they were going to get. Yeah, exactly. And and there you had you have a chance to upgrade. You got to upgrade. And I'm I'm totally excited. I love uh, Tatum. I think Jalen Brown's going to be really good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an ex- Al Horford fan. But here's the thing about Al Horford: Has he peaked? Have we already seen the best of Al Horford? Probably. I mean, I, I feel like that's probably fine on this team. You know, since you do have Kyrie and Gordon Hayward now. There isn't as much pressure for Horford to be the guy, and I think that should take some pressure off him. Yeah, but when he's making forward. thirty million a year, it kind of, <laughs> that's pretty. Uh, that's a nice dent, you know, for someone that may or may not be be declining. I think that's something that, um, while it's great to have now, and he's one of those people, like you know, you know, hopefully it's a situation where. He's not one of those guys that you think of as reliant uh, solely on his athleticism. So his skill set mm-hmm. should theoretically be able to age well, especially as long as he can keep his um, lateral movement up and be able to keep guarding pick and rolls as well. And obviously, he's, he's a very good distributor and, and things like that. So hopefully, that will age age well with time. Yeah, he still has a good shot. I think, too, he stopped tearing his pectorals. I think he tore the each one like in back-to-back seasons or something weird mm-hmm. and so i mean it, i mean he's on the other side of 30 now i believe and i think anytime you do that there's always a risk of decline or injury but i mean like you said i mean that was probably as good as they were going to get and they might have peaked last year and overachieved so i think that if you're going to take a risk and disrupting something that went well i mean this was probably a pretty good risk to take well i'm i'm excited for them and, and me and this is i might be weird but i like good white players in in white ass towns so i love i want <laughs> gordon haywood in boston i'm like hell yeah you know <laughs> like when kevin love in minnesota i'm like hell yeah i love i don't know what it is like me i wish there would be a like this is very controversial guys all right but i would love like all the best white players go to one team and just dominate and it'd be a race war every game i thought the pacers tried that they well you know it's a little weird. Like I, I see weird, weird stuff like that. Or me, like I want the all freak team. Like I want like Porzingis and Giannis and Kevin Durant. All the dudes are just like spider arms on one team. I think about <laughs> weird. I think about weird things. I got problems. Uh, so is all right. Part of my estimation from the way this trade worked out uh, is that Cleveland believes that lebron is leaving because that to me of just the type of trade it was a trading with your nearest competitor means a they they're not scared of of boston no (laughs) first off and two it kind of indicates that but then again you you know maybe not this year but the you know boston's going to keep making moves they're going to keep getting better so in two years they might, you know, you've definitely made it a lot of the chances that they're going to beat you better. So that tells me that they're kind of saying, we think LeBron's going to leave. And hence making that pick um, the linchpin of the deal. 
Yeah, these or at least at the very least, they don't trust LeBron's future commitment if they haven't already got it. And but it really does seem like you know this is probably it for LeBron in Cleveland. It seems like he's just had enough of Dan Gilbert's crap for the time being. Do you it buy does, LA? Do you buy LA as a destination? I I don't get the why. I mean, is he really going to go to the Lakers and play with you know a bunch of kids? Yeah, who aren't going to be ready to win? Well, theoretically, is it going to be him and Paul George going there? I I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that's a good point. We saw how you know much frustration went into that first season back in Cleveland with David Blatt when. I mean, it was not a fun team. I mean, nothing about that team seemed enjoyable. And it seemed like LeBron really just struggled with having this young team that didn't know how to be, or at least, you know, conduct itself at a championship level, like a championship team should. I feel like he really grew up a lot in Miami and came back and he's like, what is this? You know, he, he doesn't have Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and Birdman anymore. He has to, you know, teach these guys a little more, I think, than he wanted to. I mean, is he really going to want to do that again in L.A. when he's, you know, 33? Well, I, I, mean, I, I have a theory. Um, or I would say not even a theory. I have a if, – if I was in his shoes or if I was someone who was advising him, I would say, listen, you're a freak of nature. You know, for some reason, he's not declining. I think in many ways, if you watch LeBron last year, the last couple of years, and compare it to the way he played five years ago when he was supposedly in his prime, mm-hmm. I think he's better and smarter in many different ways, he's a much more diverse player. The uh, the way he paces himself, his ability to read the floor, get people involved. Um, so, I, in many ways, I think there's there's um, in almost in almost the same way how if you look at um, the first three years that uh, the Bulls won with Jordan, and then the second three years, how his game was completely different. Even though he didn't have yep. some of the athleticism, but he had all this other uh, skill set. His game really really evolved. Where to me. He's probably going to be good till he's like forty, right? If he wants, yeah. To I mean, with that work ethic, I mean, you look at his, you know, Instagram story, and he's always has, he's always lip syncing to some song in the gym, shirtless. I mean, so it seems like you know he's taking care of himself regularly, and he's, you know, he's a basketball guy from what I've heard. I don't think I've ever talked to him, but from what I've heard, he's a student of the game. He loves it. I mean, I think if you have that willingness, even you know. Uh, how long has he been around now? This is going, what, year 14? I mean, if you can still do that 14 years in and still have that desire, I mean, yeah, you're right. I think he could still be a productive player, you know, heading towards 40. All right. But injury aside, which this is a man who's literally never been injured, so who, who knows? But what I'm saying is if I'm him and I want to be – I want to cement myself as in that contention of being the greatest player of all time, I'm trying to be Kareem, meaning – I need to get – he needs to find his Magic Johnson because when yeah. he first got with Magic, he was the best player, but it was a way where he just passed the mantle and he was able to kind of um, recede in his career and be the, the second or third fiddle and play – what was Kareem, 42 when he retired? Oh, gosh, yeah. He was around for a long, All right. long time. And I believe that LeBron, because he's not Kobe – and he doesn't need to shoot 37 times. He's totally happy distributing, playing defense, just being like he could be when he's 38 years old, he could be the greatest version of Andre Iguodala you've ever seen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> still averaging seven and a half assists a game. Yeah, I mean, he's but I think he could really do that. So if I'm him, I'm thinking 
I'm staying in the East because it's wide open. And I need to find someone who's eventually going to be better than me. So I mm-hmm. look at, oh, let me look at Giannis. Let me see. Let me see what those kids are doing in, in Philly. Like, to me, if I was him, that's what I would be thinking. Not, I'm going to go somewhere and be the man because if he's 34 or 35, guess what? They're still 28 years old in Golden State. And you're KD already kind of, as good as LeBron was, KD was probably 0.5% better than him in the, that finals. And that's the point is KD is. Which not, is wild. It, Kevin Durant play, literally played a perfect series. He was the best defensive player on the on the floor. The guy at what he averaged thirty five a game. Shoot, he was it was absurd. So, if you're not the best guy, and even though he might be the best player now, he's not going to be in two years. No, and so well, he, I like Paul George. I just don't think I just don't like Paul George that much. Where I say, oh, Paul George, you know, is going to be you know his Kareem figure. To, you no, know, I don't, oh, no, I don't example. think that's the guy. It has to be someone transcended. It has to be Giannis. It has to. Hey, maybe it's Porzingis. I don't know. Right, New York can finally get LeBron after seven years of wishing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, if if Porzingis becomes seven foot three, Dirk, why not? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. I mean, LeBron and Melo, two well, threes who don't want to play the four. <laughs> listen, I don't know. I'll, listen. Mello, we'll see. Listen, I'm I'm a fan of Mello's game, but you know, he's doing his thing. You know, in, enjoy that, Mello. Every all the problems you're having are of your own doing. <laughs> you decided to oh, sign yeah. in, sign in, uh, re-sign with Knicks. You decided to do the no trade clause, so I don't care. So we'll see what happens. I just wish you would have said like, no, I want financial security and long-term job security, so I stayed in New York. Not that I'm trying to win a championship nonsense, because that was never happening. No, I don't think he cares about winning a championship. No. And which is fine. I mean, he's one of the greatest scorers of his generation. He's been successful. He's financially well off. He's had a successful career. It's just, you know, don't feel pressure to say that you're all about titles when your act all your actions say otherwise. Well, I, I totally think he can be like when Glenn Rice was on the Lakers. Which year is that? Two thousand one? Whatever, whatever. One, one, two, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Just be like, you know, the third fiddle, you know, get you 18 a game on easy looks. You know, Glenn Rice never had it that good. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, pure, pure, pure scorer. Um, so I don't want to keep you too long. So we got to talk uh, about the T-Wolves real quick, because that is obviously your your main area of, of expertise. How good yes. are the T-Wolves? A starting five looks pretty good. It, it's it's the bench. I have a lot of questions. So we got Taj. I mean, I don't know how much is Taj coming off the bench? It, that's tough to say. It's got to be Taj or Gorgie. I mean, that that's really going to be the tough decision there. So it'll be the for sure is obviously are going to be Towns, Butler, Wiggins, Jeff Teague. That's that's for sure you're starting for. I mean, do you bring? I've always said that Gorgie was probably the first big off the bench on a playoff team. But is he's good. He much... I think he's underrated. He is. Yeah, he's a very good player. I don't think a lot of people have watched Timberwolves games, so they don't realize just all the little things he does. I mean, he doesn't need a lot of touches. But Todd Gibson's still a good, productive player. And what... you keep him in there to kind of keep everyone in their place? I don't know. The problem with Todd Gibson is not Todd Gibson. The t- problem with him is the league has changed since 2010, um, where 
that traditional bruising power, you know, defensive minded power forward who doesn't really shoot threes has almost become um, devalued, devalued or whatever. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're there. <laughs> uh, they're obsolete. That's where I was, ugh, there it is. Um, they, they they've been a, become a little bit obsolete. You know, the Charles Oakley's and the Dale Davis's and and players like that um, can't really stay on the court as much in in this realm, which is why I think sometimes even Todd Gibson when he was in Chicago had a difficulty maintaining the starting spot. Yeah, cause he, yeah, he wasn't always. Oh, who's he behind? He's yeah, he was coming off behind Carlos Boozer. Yeah, it was Boozer, that. and then they, but they, you know, and then after that team kind of came apart, and there was like this thing with you know Miritich would sometimes start, and they were it, it was never really. Who is so much worse? Well, but he is more representative of the modern NBA and being being more uh, of a wing oriented big man and shooting threes and you know i'm just saying it's it's this idea where someone has even his value is great and we all look and we love Todd gibson it's like i'm not saying he shouldn't start i'm just saying it's the, the the league kind of looks at things like this differently than it would have been maybe five years ago yeah i mean the weird thing is i mean everyone always talks about oh gorgie jane can hit that corner three he always does it in warm-ups but he never does it in games yeah you rarely see him do it. I mean, if he can hit it, you like to see him actually use it more. And I think, like you said, if you want a more modern look, uh, you can look to that. I mean, by putting Gorgon in the starting lineup and doing that. I think they've tried to do that with Nemanja Bielitsa off the bench and having him as, you know, the stretch four. But the problem is he can't shoot. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, can, he has size to play power forward. So I don't think, you know, Todd is in jeopardy of losing, you know, his starting spot to Bielitsa like he was to Miritich in Chicago. Well, one, it'll be interesting to see who comes out. One thing that's really helps him, his case, though, is that uh, Towns can shoot from three. So so, so you're not um, in the situation where you have two big guys who are kind of restricted to stay with uh, – your spacing still has some ability there. Like the Pistons with Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond a couple of years ago. Yeah, where none of those guys were shooting outside the paint. Yeah, but th- but then again, it's it, it tells you how the how the league has changed. You know, remember it was you know like uh, like Elijah and Otis Thorpe were like the front line like that today. That would never happen. It was basically that would never fly. Yeah, and it's it's just it the, the game has has just changed. Um, is the it, here's my my concern with despite how how much better we feel like this team is going to be. And I think it's indisputable that they will be better, but is the West so stacked that it's like they're screwed? Yeah. It's, I look at, you know, even what the jazz did, it's, I mean, they lost Gordon Hayward, but they added a lot of solid pieces. I mean, that's competition in their own division. The thunder added Paul George, the Rockets added Chris Paul to what was already a very good Rockets. Denver added Millsap. Yeah. Denver added Millsap. I mean, it's, it's going to be a dogfight in the West. And, you know, you really hope that having guys like, you know, Crawford and Butler and Gibson can mentally get this team through there because, I mean, they're counting on Towns, you know, who you're probably less worried about than, you know, Andrew Wiggins, who I think needs to really show some growth for this team to reach its full potential. And if they don't have that, I mean, what are you going to do when all these other guys who have been there and done that? You're facing those guys every night. How are you, how are you going to overcome that? when you haven't been there before. I mean, that, 
we'll see how far this leadership goes. But that is, yeah, that's a good question. So is is Andrew Wiggins at this point same thing? I feel like if if it was ten years ago, people would regard Andrew Wiggins as like a top ten player. But because of the way we, you know, because of the way we analyze all the data now, we say no. Well, he's he's a scorer, but there's all these things that he doesn't really do well. Is he at this point? Is he underrated or overrated? Uh, people have probably turned on him a little too much. I mean, the questions about his game are valid, but you've seen with a guy like DeMar Rosen, who might be more exception than rule that you don't necessarily need to have a great three point shot. You can make your living off the mid range. And, but I think what people more so want to see are the rebounding numbers come up, you know, the assist numbers come up and you figure as soon as the team gets better, that you would hope that those assist totals come up that when he has guys more worthwhile, to pass to and I mean, he's acknowledged the rebounding problem and i think those are the biggest things and he just has a sleepy demeanor to him he's very laid back you know i mean if you ask him a question he's not going to go on at length he's not really going to be very expressive but he's going to answer your question and that's you're going to get your answer you're not going to get a whole lot else and i think that rubs people the wrong way he's very tracy McGrady, mcgrady-ish to me yeah yeah that's a good way to put it because it, it seems like he doesn't really care he's not always checked in and but I think some of that does have to do with his body language and the way that he comes off. Well, I'm I'm in this mode where because I think the you know in in a sense the 24 hour news cycle has transferred from the normal news world to the NBA world, and I think we have back in the day people would go to college for three or four years and come in more or less fully formed, and now. We have 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids, and they have one subpar season. And people are like, yeah, that guy, he's done. His career is over. It, it is the, the lack of patience with some of these young guys to me is, is I, I can't believe it. That, that we can't I mean, just say like, we, and now we tend to, in a way, ignore all the good things someone does and just harp on what they can't do. Exactly, and it's it's really easy to focus on the negative things. Sam Mitchell, I mean, for all his flaws, he always did, you know, remind the media. He's like, you know, these guys. I mean, in two years, they should be college seniors. I mean, Wiggins this year would be going into his senior year at Kansas if he had stayed. Towns, I mean, his junior year at Kentucky. Right now, that's how young they are. He's like, there's no magic button to fast forward them to, you know, when they're 25 years old. I mean, you're gonna have to go through the growing pains there and realize that these are, you know, kids going against. Men with experience, you know, whose bodies are better suited to handle the physicality of the NBA game and the rigors of a long season. Yeah, I mean, I I just look at, to me, a lot of times it just has to do with how good the team is, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, Clay Thompson doesn't grab no rebounds. He doesn't get any assists. You don't see anyone talking about him, like, why he sucks, but he's a good defender and he shoots threes. He's you know. basically next Ray Allen too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yes, but Ray Allen was also you know a bit more of a you know could he you know he was a more of a do everything kind of kind of guy, and he also Absolutely. had situations where he was the best player. You know, we've never seen you know we wouldn't know what it would look like if you you know just put Clay Thompson on you know like the Phoenix Suns or something where he had to be the best player. We we've well, Ray seen. Allen could dribble too. That's that, another difference between him and Clay. Very, very, very true. But but my general point is when you have tremendous success um, and you're a cog in, in, in the wheel, 
we're we're not going to sit there and say, hey, you know, uh, Clay Clay Thompson's only averaging two rebounds. I don't even know what his rebound number is actually <laughs> off the top of my head, <laughs> but because um, I think the the Timberwolves, the expectations last year, I thought were f- psychopathic. Like they I was, were ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I was like, I was like, people were literally uh, projecting that they were going to increase by like twenty wins. I'm like, was it just because of Tom Thibodeau? I mean. He's a good coach, but look, slow down. The team isn't that different from their core can barely order a beer legally in the United States. I mean, let's yeah, slow I, down. I didn't see it. I think people got just started drinking the Kool Aid on that, and I was so. I think because the team has kind of um, struggled more than than what was foreseen. Um, now it's like, all right, we have to criticize this. I mean, even. And the, and the whole point, I think, especially with Towns and Wiggins coming out of college, the whole uh, the scouting report was these guys could defend. And yeah. then now we look at the numbers and we say, oh, no, they're not really good defenders. Well, are they not good defenders? Or, they, or have they just not learned the game and they're still, you know, they're still getting a feel for it? And not to mention last year, I think, what was it, the, the greatest like offensive <laughs> uh, explosion in the history of the league last year? Something like that. Yeah, right about that. Well, too, and oh, as far as scoring, yeah, scoring and, yeah. and efficiency. Yes, you're right about that. And one thing too to keep in mind is that you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins going back to his senior year of high school. He had one coach. Then he goes to Kansas and has Bill Self. Then he has Flip Saunders in his rookie year, and then he has Sam Mitchell in his second year. Then he has Tom Thibodeau. And last year, his third year. So that's five coaches in five years who <laughs> to do five different things. So now he finally has a consistent message for the first time in, since he could even go to his senior prom. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, and not for nothing, I think you talk about a guy like Jimmy Butler, who obviously has made his bones on the defensive side of the ball when he first um, came up in the league. And being able to mm-hmm. have that um, – you know, the actual technical learning, but also the leading by example. Like me, in some fictional universe, I imagine this world where Wiggins was still on the Cavs and he and LeBron just essentially cloned himself and turned him into <laughs> LeBron part two. Like that's like in a, you know, fictional um, universe. I think that would have been a really interesting uh, case. But but yeah, so I think that's um, hopefully I think things that, that, that could happen. I think, you know, athletically and just just actual feel for the game to me Andrew Wiggins is just like he just one of those guys that can just play basketball and he he has all the tools yeah and and i think that the way people are, are treating it is 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 so alarmist <laughs> to me in my mm-hmm. in, in in my estimation and and um but i i know obviously there was you know i saw you wrote something about him maybe for for Kyrie which i'm sure was being considered um uh, Apparently, it was never actually offered. Really? Okay. From local sources, it was never actually offered. Um, nationally, the idea might have been floated out there by somebody. It may not have been an actual thing, but yeah, I, re- I do remember that now. All right. Well, so I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So we're gonna do a couple quick hits, and we're gonna, we're, we're gonna get off. Or actually, I'm not even gonna do a quick hit. I'm just gonna say, so out of Paul George going to o- OKC, Chris Paul going to the Rockets. You know, maybe what's going on in, in, in Philly. Do you see or do any of these teams, any team in particular, you think pose any more of a threat to the Warriors than perhaps last year? 
Oh, that's a good question. I like Steven Adams and OKC. I don't know how good they... I mean, the Thunder got better. I mean, it's hard to look at, you know, trading Victor Oladipo for Paul George and say they didn't get better. Do they have a bench? So, I don't. I still don't think it's very great. Yeah, they don't have a ton of pieces off the bench, I don't think. But in, but the, but in many ways, if you use that as just a corollary corollary <laughs> like mm-hmm. if, and if you say all right um paul george is maybe 85 cents on the dollar for what you got with kevin durant that's pretty good that's really good considering how much kevin durant's dollar is yeah so in in many ways that the fact that they could actually replace that role like exact role with someone who's young Someone who plays uh, both sides of the ball. Someone could actually shoot threes. Like in, in in you know he is the best version of a poor man's uh, Kevin Durant, which which is there's no mm-hmm. real version of that because the, you know uh, Kevin Durant is a unicorn. They just don't make guys like that. He's you know like a you know it's like a science experiment. It doesn't make sense. With, with he's George Jervin on steroids. Yeah, it's I hate when people say that, but it's really the truth. He's like the next version of George Jervin. Yeah, so so I I think they they will be interesting. I'm I'm kind of actually. Well, while but this is the last thing I'll ask you, and I'll, I'll I'll let you go. Did Russell Westbrook deserve to win MVP? Oh man, I was kind of torn on this. I forget my exact reason, but I did lean towards James Harden. I think I think it had more to do with the team success mm-hmm. as a whole and looking at it in there, but. You know, if Westbrook didn't do what he did, the Thunder wouldn't have gotten as far as they did. So, I mean, that does matter that he did everything that he could do and everything that he needed to do for the betterment of the team and did it. I don't, there wasn't a pick where I was going to go, oh, that's a horrible, you can't, that's a horrible choice. You can't have that. Like Nash over Kobe, the the questionable one there, whichever year that was. Yeah, Kobe should have won that one. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're right about that. Kobe definitely should have had more than, retired with more than one MVP. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily the wrong choice. I might have gone James Harden, but you know, I don't think it's offensive to have Russell Westbrook as a, you know, the 2017 NBA MVP. I was totally fine with it because, in many ways, I think the MVP is about the best story, and mm-hmm. um, emotionally, what we what were we as fans most captivated by, and that's ultimately even if he didn't win. Right, I think ten years from now we would still be talking about man. You remember when Russ Westbrook went crazy that year? Um, Average a triple double. Yeah, and and um, even though I, the way he, he plays, I don't like. In in terms of, I think it's been established that when someone is that ball dominant, um, it just doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't uh, result in wins, and it it so. Even though I thought it was the, the 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 greatest story, obviously with Kevin Durant leaving, it's this redemption thing. But I think you can make a case: best team, you give it to Harden. Best player, we give it to LeBron. If we actually pretended like we cared about defense, then we give it to um, Kawhi. So I think you could mm-hmm. make, you know, it just depends on what narrative ma- matters to you the most. Exactly, and it's I mean that's what I think the human element of MVP voting and why, you know, team PR departments are so vigilant in sending out, you know, their stuff to the media. I mean, they want to sway them towards their players narrative and, you know, increase their visibility and their chances of winning. 
And that's why we obsess over it months on end. And I think we'll remember that. I mean, James Harden had a historic season, but you know that Westbrook did too with his triple double campaign. I mean, it was it was a fun race for sure. Yeah, and and to be truthful, in in, in my opinion, this era, um, which maybe may like this year and the previous year, because of the way uh, teams have changed the way they've played with the spacing and the pace. Um, I, to me, this is like the the steroid era in baseball, right? So that's what, you know, when everyone mm-hmm. is hitting 70 home runs every year, I feel like that's what these numbers we're seeing are a little inflated by the era and the way we've changed the way the game is. is, is I remember played. when Drew Brees broke the NFL passing yards record in a season. And at that point, it's like, well, everyone throws for 5,000 yards in a season. Who cares if you did that? Yeah. How many you threw for this year? I mean, it just kind of lost its impact. Yeah, so I, I'm taking the numbers with a little bit of grain, grain of salt, and I think it's it's a testament to the talent, but it's also we have to understand that the eras are different, and there's different ways of kind of equating it. So the numbers, in some some sense, um, do not tell the complete story. Absolutely. All right, brother. You know, I really appreciate you coming on the show, getting getting deep, um, and you know, and. This is great for me, all right? You know, having someone, an actual an actual NBA journalist on the show, it's a, it's a real treat for me. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, it was a blast to come on, and I appreciate you having me on, too. We'll do it, uh, you know, as the season goes on. Maybe we'll get to talk about my Knicks a little more. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting year. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, it, it should be a fun one, absolutely. All right, brother. You have a great day. Hey, you too. Thanks, Doc. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Mr. Derek James. Thanks again for having him on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And I have to say, since the NBA season began, I have been devouring every game I can. And it can, listen, it can ruin your life. You know, you might not get all your responsibilities done because you just, you just love and ball that much. And that's me. I'm watching two games at the same time. I'm on, I'm on my phone watching games and looking at all the stats. It's a problem, guys. But I love it. I can't front. And anything that I'm passionate about, I'm definitely going to bring to this show. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I know some people are not going to listen to the sports ones or the politics ones. That's all right. There's something for everybody. Anyway, you guys all have a great week. And I will see you next time. Mamba out. Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. 
Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.